I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Uh, I think I've been off for two weeks. Is that right? It's so good to have you back. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> I missed one week. Uh, Sean Latimer and Joe Klein filled in for me last week, and it was an excellent podcast, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it with Joe, but like I said, very happy to have you back. Uh, thank you. Well, I wrote an article uh, in the middle of the night, uh, last night, I think it was. Um, we have a newborn at home, so I s- do a lot of things in the middle of the night. I wrote this article called Experiencing Turbulence. Uh, we welcomed our new baby girl to the world about two weeks ago. And at the beginning of this article, I gave an account of kind of that first experience that I had. If you haven't read it yet and you're just listening to the podcast, I will warn you, just you have to keep going through the first few paragraphs and then and then you, you, it gets better. But it is it was I told Trevor, it's hard to read at the beginning because, uh, yeah, I guess it sums it up. Well, it's experiencing turbulence because I felt pretty uneasy the whole time. Yeah, it's funny. He sent me a text message this morning, Sean did. Uh, and he was like, the first section's hard to read. And I was like, emotionally or grammatically? <laughs> and I was being serious because uh, I've told Sean before, uh, it, it it would be my hope or I wish I could spend more time uh, working on thoughts on money. Uh, it's just there's so much we do here at the Bonson Group uh, that there's like a certain amount of dedicated time I have at home to write these and kind of give my fresh thoughts on paper. But you get a pretty raw look because uh, it's very unedited. Yeah, and that's how it should be. But uh, no, I I kind of knew right when it, I started reading it. I was like, oh, I, I understand the topic and buckle up. Yeah. Well, uh, not meant to really uh, draw on heartstrings or uh, cause tears, but uh, it was an opportunity because so many clients and friends and family and, and colleague uh, were, you know, praying for our family and, and asking uh, how the pregnancy was going. Um, as some of you may know, I've talked about it in a past podcast. Our first son passed away in 2017. My wife was. Uh, 35 weeks of long pregnancy, uh, and he was a stillborn. So that is a traumatic experience. Um, he's buried uh, in Lake Forest, and uh, we visit him regularly. And uh, my in-laws just went to kind of decorate his gravestone. But with that, it means that there's an extra layer of anxiety uh, when we get ready uh, for uh, giving birth we get ready. When my wife gets ready, it might be the right way to say it. So I basically opened up is in this experience, these are all C-sections, right? Because when you have a high-risk pregnancy, that's their preference. Uh, If you're having a C-section, at least at our hospital, you sit in this lonely hallway uh, dressed up in the marshmallow suit um, all by yourself for about 25 minutes. I uh, So I also have three little ones and none of them were C-section. But this also this almost sounds like a better route to go because instead my route or was Sarah going through labor and just getting mad at me the whole time about how painful it was. So I think I'd rather sit in the hallway. It's funny because my wife, same thing, just because we had that uh, traumatic experience, she likes the, um, the C-section. Now, I only sit in the hallway as they're getting ready with the like medications and right. preparatory work and all that. Like when I walk in, it's just go time. Right. So for this experience, uh, our last two boys, it was very similar, same operating room, all that. So I had that expectation. They delayed me a little bit because they're waiting on something. I forgot. But when I walked into the room, I felt like there was a hundred people. When you said that, it totally hit home. It's like when you you get on a Zoom call and there's like even one or two extra people that weren't you weren't expecting, 
it changes the the dynamic, you know? Yeah, it was it was interesting. So I like I walked in and it's a pretty small room, probably similar to the room we're doing this podcast in. Um, just think a little bit larger than your bedroom, I, I would assume. Not as large as a master bedroom, but uh, maybe a this guest very, room. Very specific. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but literally, I think there was over twenty people in that in the room. And I walked in. I kind of looked around. I was like, hey, like going on and they're like oh like these nurses are in training uh this doctor's filling in and uh for them it's just business as usual yeah so for me it's like an experience i'll I'll memorize i'll I'll remember for a lifetime um but they're just doing business as usual so i i sit down another anesthesiologist walks in he's got like a book in his hand and he's like humming a tune and and i'm like why a second anesthesiologist well they were switching because it was like a shift break so she's leaving, he's sitting in, the doctor's talking about his like vacation plans. And I'm like, man, this is like, this is a weird scene going on right now. Yeah. That, those uneasy feelings too. Like when we were uh, having our third, uh, I think the midwife came up at some point and she goes, Hey, you know, we have a nurse midwife in training. Would you feel comfortable her like taking the reins? And I was like, ah, uh, no. Sorry. Like, no. And she was like, totally understand. No problem. But I thought it was interesting because I'm like, who says yes? It's like your Uber comes up like, hey, we have a student driver today. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind, uh, exactly. That's how I felt. So anyway, I, I do my normal scenario. I sit there, I hold my wife's hand. You're behind a curtain. That's just kind of how it works. The other side, they're doing the operation. Um, and this time is going to be different because for our first three, we didn't know the gender. So there is this like, exciting time where the doctor pulls out the baby and well we had three boys so we were like hey we need to know if we're going to paint a room pink right so we knew that this was gonna be a little girl because we found out uh but this is kind of where everything changed from this point on is baby comes out she looks good she looks happy but she's having trouble breathing uh so all the nurses come around and they're they kind of take her directly to the table they're giving her oxygen um one of the nurses is is not like physically pushing me out of the way but kind of like crowding me out of the way as I'm like trying to look at my newborn. And um, in the past, I was taking pictures and and stuff like that. And she was like, sir, please put your camera away. And I was like, okay, this is a different scene now. And then I kind of started to look around. My wife is still kind of from She's like, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah, she's behind the curtain. Then one of the nurses yells, call the NICU right away. And I'm like, my anxiety is just going through the roof. And now the experience starts to change. Now, in the moment, this is not funny. Looking back, to me, it's funny. And the reason it's funny is because when I begin to get anxious, and I'm not really an anxious person, um, I let my mind run wild. And it it changes my physical composure. So I started to lose color in my face. I'm starting to get those cold sweats. And I'm like, I'm going to faint. And uh I'm looking around trying to think, where should I be right now? So I try to go sit back down, hold my wife's hand and like comfort her that it's going to be okay. I still hear all the medical chatter. So I'm looking around and at some point I'm like, I got to pull the ripcord. Like, because, and this is the part that obviously is not funny, but just be lighthearted with me. Like I was like, am I going to lose another child? So I'm looking around and I'm like, I got to exit. And the nurse is coming up to me. She's like, hey, you look pale. Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. Why? Because I don't want to take attention away yeah. from the... Yeah, if you collapse in the middle of the floor, you have three nurses coming to help you and check on you. Yeah, it's it's just silly. So I'm like, the, the main characters in this plot are my wife and my daughter. So I just exit the operation room and I just sit on the floor. Uh, I end up taking off like I had a sweatshirt on under. And I'm like, cold sweats, like fighting back tears. And like, I'm, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Now this is in the in the in the article that Sean talked about. 
our daughter's okay. <laughs> she's amazing. Like, uh, they, she was in NICU for four days. Every day she got stronger. Every day she got more healthy. Um, and she was home by Friday. This was a Tuesday and she was home by Friday. But in that moment, oh, it was so hard. And my wife, she picks on me a little bit. She, when I exited that room, she was like, what are you doing? Like, I need you here right now. Yeah. And she knows that, like, there have been th- times in the past where I've, like, exercised too hard and I've passed out or, like, my son got a bloody nose and I got a little uneasy. So she's a little tough on me. But, man, uh, it was a whirlwind of a moment. And it was very difficult when people were text messaging me that day. Oh, I bet. To account, like, how do I give you this whole story of how I feel? Or do I just respond, like, I'm doing good, thanks. Yeah. It, and obviously, a lot of us at the office, that we knew what day your or Nicole's procedure is. And Scheduled like, C-section, right? Scheduled so. C- so we're all like, oh, cool probably get there around this time happens at this time and then like an hour goes by a couple hours go by a few hours go by and we're like we should have heard something by now but i'm definitely and trevor's one of my best friends i talk to him every day and and so people come to me and they're like hey have you heard anything and i'm like nope and i'm definitely not gonna text him right now so uh and then we have the work group chat so we're so used to um constant updates and pictures and what exactly so Oh, yeah. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because readers just get through it and then he goes to the good news part. But uh, I I could understand why you would have PTSD and that rush of emotion. And it was probably good that you took a deep breath, able to get your composure back, go back in and you're good to go. Yeah. And it was, I mean, uh, my heart goes out. We've had some people here at TBG, uh, two that come to mind that that have had, you know, uh, long time periods in the NICU. And it's a different experience uh, as you, for, for us, we're on a whole different floor. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sleeping in a lonely hospital room and then traveling, I, I w- had to wake my wife up every two or three hours and wheelchair her up to the fifth floor um, so she could nurse and be with baby yeah. and kind of go back and forth. So um, it's all good. But I'm a connect the dots kind of guy. So in that experience, obviously I didn't sleep really well those nights as I was on the hospital couch. Um, And I recollected back to a meeting that Sean and I had with a a client recently where we were talking about their financial goals and we're specifically zooming in on this idea of retiring early and covering the full expense of college for their multiple children. And the reason this came to mind Uh, And I'm not making light of my situation. Like I really thought about this in the hospital room is I realized that moment, not only how fragile life is, but secondly, uh, how a parent would do anything for their child, right? They would like, if a child broke their arm, like if a parent had the magic wand, they would take that broken arm right there. 100%. And that's how parenting works. But in that hospital room, um, I was helpless. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the skill set. I have to sit in the bleachers and watch and trust that everyone's going to take care of my child. Yeah, if you try to do anything, you just make it worse. Make it worse. Yeah, even even me. Even you just standing there almost yeah, made it worse. Almost, yeah, <laughs> me almost fainting almost made it worse. So it just reminded me too, as a parent in financial planning, you also sometimes are in the bleachers. Sometimes you have limitations. Uh, in the article, I talked about this idea of trade-offs. Uh, and, and the way I described trade-offs was um, you can do some of each. You can do one or the other. You can't do both completely. For, so for the client that we were engaging with, um, what was in the back of my mind is really this client is not going to be able to fulfill both of these goals to the exact extent that they expect. Yeah, and that is hard because uh, 
you never want to be the bearer of bad news. And and I've had those uncomfortable conversations with people where they say, well, no, th- th- these are the things I'm going to do. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, the math doesn't check out. And and y- you can almost see it in their eyes that they're realizing that or sometimes that they're not. But uh, we know in the back of my, our minds that if they're trying to save or do those things, it's just going to cause future problems for them. Yeah. And it feels like in our society today, that list of expectations don't really stop, right? Pay for college, mm-hmm. and then you pay for the wedding. Yep. And then first house. You, you provide the down payment for the first house. Like it's like, man, that list can be extensive. And we're talking about big ticket items. And something you and I have talked about a lot is if you stop buying that coffee every day at Starbucks, that's not going to be material to your financial plan. It's the big ticket items. It's the thousand dollar lease payment of the car you get into that you can't afford, not the five dollar coffee. Yeah, or the fifty thousand dollar wedding, right? Or the three hundred thousand dollar down payment, or whatever it might be. Yeah, and we we do see this often where uh, it's it's not just this one scenario, but uh, it can be anything. If they're generous with family members or whatever it might be, you do have to kind of weigh those pros and cons. That if you do this, you're going to be putting yourself at financial risk in the future. And uh, I, one thing that came to mind right away when I was reading this is that there's an argument to be made that you want to support your kids and do whatever you can to, to help them financially. But then, and you mentioned in the article, the last thing that parents want to be for their kids is a burden in the future. And I think that those are both extremes, right? Like that that's like when they're older and they run out of money and now they have to go live with their children, right? That's the worst case scenario. But I do think that there's something in between where when your kids go to college they're young adults. They do not have it all figured out. Uh, hopefully they get a good job after school and they're able to, to be uh, independent. But there's a lot of kids there that don't know what they want to do and they kind of end up boomeranging back home. And it, you almost need a strong foundation at home. Like I feel like as parents, you have to be the stable rock for, especially if you have multiple children, that if something were to go wrong, you guys are the ones they can depend on. And uh I think if you extend yourself early financially, you're you're not going to have a strong foundation for them. I love the way you put that too, even with that word early, because so much of the benefits of finance is letting things compound for a long time. Um, and and I did talk about in the article, but if if your goal is to help your kids be independent and to take care of them, kind of some people's greatest fear is that they would be a burden on their children in the future. And that's what you mentioned. And that's my concern when I see a financial plan. I'm like, this will pencil if markets are perfect and there's no curveballs in your life. But if there's any curveballs and markets don't exactly give you the rate of return that you need, um, I I think you're going to boomerang where you're going to be living with your kids. And I I don't say that um, in a joking way. I say that like that's how this looks like it's going to model. Yeah, and that's, that's a scary thought for people. And I also think it's hard for when anytime you're doing financial planning, you're doing an educated guess for years in the future. And that's sometimes hard for people to actually think about, like to think about what life will look like in 30 years. We we want instant gratification. And if you get gratification now for helping your kids pay for school, it's going to be hard to deny that feeling of positivity for something that might happen in 30 years. So I understand both sides of the argument, but you're right. It, the decisions that people make now will make an impact uh, on their financial security in the future. And then you, you kind of mentioned it later in the article. And uh, I I almost misunderstood when you said, please don't weed the, uh, feed the wildlife. What, what did you mean exactly when you first started writing about that? Oh, yeah. So that's a good point. I, w- I even told you, uh, I, I resent this article to you because I wanted to, when I'm doing like stream of thought, 
sometimes my connectors in my own brain don't really relate to how uh, making something readable. But what Sean's talking about is one analogy I used I, I, when I was laying in the hospital bed, I, I immediately thought, uh, and I'll get to the one you said, but I immediately thought about um, when you're on an airplane and they say, hey, you know, if cabin pressure changes and these masks come down, secure your own mask first before assisting someone else. And I don't remember this exactly, but I think when we did our annual retreat this year to Nashville, I was sitting next to uh, one of our colleagues who has a little baby. And I think the stewardess came up and said, hey, just a reminder, make sure you secure your mask before you secure this six-month-old's mask. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's like a, a – yeah. how could a, you know a father would want to do the opposite? But it's the same thing we're talking about here is that if you're not in good health and good standings, then there's no way you're going to be able to help somebody else. So it's this counterintuitive thought that, hey, you have to focus on yourself first. That way you can care for the people you love. What I transitioned next to is I was saying, hey, we kind of have two different clients we serve. Some clients where that financial plan is going to be key to making sure that they allocate correctly and they spend wisely uh, and to make sure that they don't you know, outlive their nest egg. We have another type of client that just has an extreme amount of abundance. Um, and really for those clients, the financial plan looks different. Because they could put all their money under the mattress and they could live three lifetimes. So their responsibility as parents is more of a stewardship uh, responsibility on, hey, how do I pass this wealth down to the next generation and not create a burden? So what Sean was talking about is I used an analogy there. I remember going to Yosemite. And they always have these signs posted, don't feed the wildlife. And I remember when I was a little boy, I was asking my dad, like, why can't I give the bird some bread or, or, or something like that? And what he explained to me is then it creates a dependency. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's actually when, when you feel like you're helping, it's actually hurting. And I've seen that so much in financial planning where I see a next generation expecting a pretty large windfall, that they create this dependency to this inheritance that it um, – what's the right word? Like it – um, eliminates their inspiration. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And maybe I'm glad you're asking because maybe it's not the perfect analogy, but it just in my head it was like, oh, it's so important to preserve the culture, to preserve how things are. And man, what a challenge parents with abundance have on how do I do this in a prudent manner? Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And and I'm sure people are listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, first world problems. Our family has just too much money. What are we going to do? But it is true because the last thing you'd want is to have your kids just sit there and coast until they are going to inherit this money or think any problem that comes up, well, you guys can just help me because you're eventually going to give me all this money anyways, right? And I I can't think of anything worse. And and you can almost tie it back to the first point that something as simple as, you know, helping them pay for college, which is great. But if you're not able to, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, I, I know Trevor and I both paid for our own school and we both worked full-time through school. And that's important to know because uh, I do think it helps kind of create that work ethic that we have now. And uh, I think if my parents had a large balance sheet and and sponsored my way through, I don't know if it would have been the same outcome. Yeah, I never read the book, so it's probably not a good idea to quote a book I didn't read. But uh, I remember Malcolm Gladwell. I know the premise. He wrote a book called um, David and Goliath. And he one part of that book, he, he highlights... Um, people that struggled with dyslexia. Uh, and, and I don't remember they, who they are, but presidents and great people. And, and he's basically saying when you're set at a young age with adversity, 
man, it builds a lot of character, mm-hmm. uh, builds a lot of resilience, uh, and those people can can rise to the top. So what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, when, when we're thinking about – you made a kind of a joke, but you're being serious about like, oh, you know – People, first world problems if you have too much money and things like that. But one thing I'll add there is think about how this is not very intuitive. Why do – and again, we won't answer why, but but why do so many professional athletes go broke? Or why is there higher suicide rates for lottery winners, right? There's something about getting a large windfall that um, – isn't healthy. And that's the, the there, therein lies the challenge for parents uh, is you have two roads you have to go down. You need to love your kids, but prioritize your own financial life um, so that you're uh, financially healthy for them uh, throughout your entire life. And then secondly, when you have an extreme abundance, you have to do some legacy planning and figure out, hey, what is the prudent way to hand this down? Because I will be critical of families that just say, hey, a lot of money, that shouldn't be a problem. They'll figure it out when I'm, you know, when I'm gone. Uh, I don't think that's a good legacy plan. No, that's a good call. I, uh, I, I do, we obviously interact with a lot of different families and uh, in different situations. And, and that's, I do ask sometimes, you know, like, oh, is it difficult raising kids? Or they go to certain schools or uh, they, you know, go on certain trips with their friends. And I've heard some good examples where they go, yeah, but I make them go work at, my brother's farm every summer for three months and it's hard work. And I'm like, Oh, that's good. You know? And it's so I, I try to take all these little tidbits and, you know, put them in my tool belt. So that way, as I raise my own kids, I can maybe use some of those ideas. Yeah. Things I would never think about. I remember talking to a client about a local private school that I was curious or interested in. And he was like, yeah, my kids went there, but when, you know, uh, they were going to a, one of their peers third birthday and the parents were flying them to Jackson, Wyoming, uh, to do a two-day ski trip um, in a private jet, I started to think, man, I want my kids to understand that this is not normal. Now, I want to be kid- crit- uh, careful there because I'm not criticizing that people do that. I'm just saying uh, you do build paradigms. And like what we talked about last week, you do build expectations. Um, so what you're talking about when people give these tidbits of wisdom is how do you create a reality of character building, hard work, or whatever it might be. Yeah, something to keep them grounded or, or to to be able to be cultured and see other parts of the world where they realize like, oh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate the life I live and that's not normal. Yeah, and we're blessed here. This is a, a weird juxtaposition or kind of tangent I'm going off on, but um, David Bonson's such a hard worker. So I when I interact with him, and I complain to you a lot, uh, but I'll never complain to him about, uh, man, the hours I'm working or I'm feeling stretched or whatever, because how could I? Like when I, when I'm putting myself up against him, it's actually inspiring the type of work that he does and the energy puts into it. And we have a front row seat from all the people that benefit from that energy. It's true. So wait, why are you willing to complain to me about it? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. So yeah. So any, anyway, that was the heart of this article. Uh, again, I went through this personal experience and it just reminded me, uh, man, as a parent, you do anything for your child. Uh, but you need to do anything in the financial realm within the realm of prudence. And sometimes that can be difficult to figure out in the moment. Yeah, one more thing to add on that is, you know, we you talked about curveballs, right? If there's no curveballs, when is there not a curveball, right? And especially when it's not just your life, it's not just your budgeting, 
It's you have multiple children. It's all their lives, all their budgets, all their problems and things that could happen. So odds are there's probably going to be something that could be much more important than helping them pay for college that might come up and you're going to want to be prepared for it. Yeah. And even on top of that, it's not only curveballs, it's your own like you have to be a strong investor, too. Yeah. Right. Because markets are going to be crazy. So you have to make good financial decisions. If you build a financial plan that depends on the highest historical market returns and the best investor behavior and no health issues, no, uh, you know, other financial curveballs. I wish you the best, but that's probably not reality. Um, even my own story today, um, we all go through tragedy or heartache or surprises um, that were unexpected. And that is part of life. So I'll wrap up there unless you have anything to add. Um, I think this is also a good time of the season to just um, reflect back on 2022. Um, I know for our family, we're looking at this new little blessing that has uh, joined our family. And as I mentioned in the article, a brand new stocking hanging on the mantle that says Ruthie on it. So that's exciting. Um, But we're doing two things, right? We're looking backwards in counting our blessing and looking forward to even say, what are our financial objectives um, for this coming year? Um, Are we going to do some new college funding for our newborn? Or um, how do we prioritize these things? And what are the trade-offs? And kind of how do we map that all out? So if you have nothing else to add, I will ask our listeners to rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. All comments are welcome. If you want to get a hold of Sean or me, Trevor, you can email us at tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. We're happy to answer any of your questions or be a resource in any way that we can. And we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.